John chapter 7. We're going to finish off this chapter today, and uh, next week we're going to be jumping into chapter 8. We're going to spend a couple weeks looking at chapter 8. So I'm going to give you a moment to get to chapter 7, and we're going to go to verse 37 in just a moment. Hey, yesterday morning was, um, it was a rocking day here in the church. Now, you may not have known, but we uh, had a funeral yesterday morning. Um, somebody in our church who has a, a Somebody he, he referred to as, as brother all his life, um, that, that person passed on and so um, asked if we could use the church. And I said, sure, that'd be great. And, and then asked if I would do the funeral and said, sure. <laughs> and go, oh, that's great too. Um, so we had uh, a church full of people that I would say um, probably very few knew the Lord. Um, these are, if you have any um, old 60s, 70s stereotypes of sex, drug, and rock and roll type of, of folks, um, then that was who was in our church yesterday, now in their 70s. The stories that were told from this stage yesterday, um, I think at one point somebody uh, who's, who's from our church was here, looked back and said, Tom was in the sound booth going, oh. <laughs> it was something else. Um, but there was a couple of us that had the opportunity to stand up here and say, you are welcome here. You're welcome. Christ welcomes you. So the daughter, what would be the niece of the person who passed away, stood up and, and shared a few uh, words. And they were, they were their own interesting words. And then she turned to me. I was sitting there and she said, Tom, thanks for letting us use this place. We realize we're just a bunch of heathens in here. And, of course, the place erupted in laughter. And, and, uh, and she might have been right. I don't know. <laughs> But I got to get up at the end and use that phrase to say, you know, Mariah, a bunch of heathens, I don't know about that. But even if it was true, you are welcome here. You are welcome. Christ welcomes you in this place. And God loves you, and I told him, so do I. In fact, I want to tell you this, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way because I love you, right? But there was something, something deeply energizing to me to walk out or to be at the doors and to shake hands as people went out, for them to see themselves in their own words, right, as a bunch of heathens, but that they were welcome here, at least for that service in their eyes, they were welcome to be here. That was incredibly energizing. One lady on the way out said this. She kind of was joking about that phrase of a bunch of heathens. But then she turned, she said, but don't think we didn't hear what you said. Now, I don't know if that meant she was a Christian and she was glad it was said, or if she was chewing on it a bit, I don't know. But I want to remind you up till now. Like the church is not just designed for a gathering of believers. The church is designed for a place, as I've been telling you, that's modeled after the temple. And our job is to open up the door for people to go into the presence of God. For people to come and offer themselves to God. And I don't know if anyone walked out of here yesterday saying yes to Jesus and becoming a Christian. It was shared how to do it. But I know somebody walked out of here yesterday and thought, I was able, the best I understood, to offer myself to, to God, or at least to go before God. And the book of John has been teaching us over and over that Jesus came to shine that type of light. And it was almost like, for a moment, like most of the Pharisees' interaction in the book of John, up to this point, has been like me in the sound booth, going, oh, oh, what is, well, 
except for they were saying it about what Jesus was saying. And Jesus is not telling old stories about, well, we'll call it questionable behavior. Jesus is telling about how he came to be the light and what he came to offer. Listen, can I just for a moment, we'll jump into the passage. Can I just again implore you, maybe beg you to reconsider the importance of sharing Jesus with those people in your life that don't know him. To share an invitation to come and to be with you here at church or to come over and open up God's word a little bit. Or when they share about struggles to say, hey, here's how I've overcome this and to share your testimony. Can I just beg of you to raise that to the priority level that we see in the book of John. So that's it on that. It was uh, quite a day. I'll, I'll remember it uh, forever. So I can't share with you some of the stories that, <laughs> that were shared from this podium right over here. They were something. Uh, so let's just jump into this passage. This is one of my uh, favorite sections because it leads into one of my favorite passages we'll look at next week. And that's the passage of this woman caught in adultery that's brought before Jesus. The character of Jesus no more clearly comes out than that story that we'll look at. But you have to remember the context. This is during the Festival of Tabernacles. This is the Festival of Light. And Jesus is using this. He's done it before, and now it's a year later. He's doing it again. He's going to use this to describe himself as light. So let's just jump into it. We're going to look at John 37 through 39. So it's only three verses. And yes, I know for some of you, you're like, well, I thought we had the whole rest of chapter seven. We do. You're just going to be looking at it on your own during your own devotion time, which you are going to get up and do every morning, correct? This time, well, just give me this, even if you're not going to do it. That's great. Wonderful. But I'll let you look at the rest of that. Let me read the three verses we're going to read this morning. We're still at the festival. And Jesus is speaking to mainly people or his disciples, but there's always religious leaders on the outskirts looking in, wanting to know what he's saying. But his focus is on the people and his disciples. It says this, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted, All who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. As the scriptures said concerning me, Rivers of living water will flow out from within me. Jesus said this concerning the Spirit. Those who believed in him would soon receive the Spirit, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. Listen, this passage is deeply theological, but it also speaks of the essence of how we live out our Christianity. It's not just in our own ability. We talked about that last week. It's not our own effort. If you missed last week's sermon, we set the foundation for that last week. So go back and listen to that. It is through what the Holy Spirit can do in and through us. We're still using our effort. We're still doing everything God has given us, every physical, our time, our energy, everything. But the Holy Spirit does something, and we dwell in him. And that is the essence of how we live out this Christianity. I'll go so far to say this. No Holy Spirit, really no evidence of Christianity. We're really not living out. We're living out the morals of Christianity. But the Holy Spirit in and through us does something much deeper and richer and more powerful. 
And that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage. I want to do this in a style that's a little different than what we walked through. I, I've actually been walking through it this way, but I don't put it in your notes this way. Notice how in your notes this morning, we're just taking each line of three verses, and they're kind of there. The sentences are there. They're broken up. This is called an inductive Bible study method here, where you just take a paragraph, and you just put line by line, and you leave space in between. And the in-between, you're just going to ask, What's going on? What's the context? What was said? Is there anything I know about this already? Who was it said to? And we just mark some stuff down. And we ask them, what does that mean? What could that mean? And so notice I've broken those up, and we're going to go through this just like this. So if you're at home and you're doing your own devotion, your own Bible study, if you want to do an inductive-style Bible study, just take a paragraph or take a passage and just break them up. You could do it verse by verse, a verse, space, verse, space. You could do it a sentence, space, sentence, space. Or you might look at it and go, oh, I can kind of naturally see how it breaks up. Do those breaks and give yourself space and just work through it. Will you, like, nail it like a, you know, a doctorate in biblical studies every time? No. You know, no. You just keep studying it and putting it in your notes. And another time you'll learn more and you'll come back to it and more. So, that's the way you can study it. That's how we'll do it this morning. The first verse is this. On the last and most important day of the festival. It's the festival of booths. It's the, the festival of lights. Remember, what they're there to celebrate is the lot that God has given them. So they're talking about where they actually live, that provision that they have a place to live, and God has given them this. It goes all the way back to the giving of the promised land, and this is our dwelling place. So in our terms, it's like every time you walk into your house, you would say, Lord, thank you for this house. Thank you for this dwelling place. I don't live on the streets. I live in a house. I live in an apartment. I live somewhere. Thank you for this. They would actually come in a festival form, and they are thanking God for his provision, but mainly for the provision of their living or the land that they have. Because remember, land is a big deal. Uh, and so they're thanking God for his provision. On the last and most important day of the festival, that is kind of the same thing. The last is the climactic day of the festival. And so it's kind of like that last night at youth camp, right? Maybe the musicians are going to come a little stronger, you know, and the preacher's going to preach a little harder, those kind of things. Um, it's not like Tuesday was an important day, but there's something about that last night that is what's going on. That's how they would think about this in terms. So when you're reading that, um, it's not that something different happened on the last day, but it's it. This is it. This is the last opportunity here. And so that is the day. So you can see Jesus has an urgency in what he wants to say here, because this is it. This is the last day of the festival. And so Jesus wants to share what he needs to share. But remember, they celebrated the lot God had given them, the gift God had given Think about it this way. They are celebrating God's provision, remembering that it is in God that I have what I have, living, family. You can go on and on with this. They wouldn't, they wouldn't stop this at their dwelling. Their provision is in God, and they're celebrating this, and they're reminding this. You put a Thanksgiving spread out once a year, right? And you are thankful, and you remember. You go around the table, and you say, well, give us one thing you're thankful for, you know? And you go around and you talk about it. And we focus on that. This is their festival to focus on God is my provider. It is in God. Listen, 
do you need a day like that to remind yourself that it's really in God? Did you effort? Do you go to work? Do you pay bills? Probably. But it is in God when we look on a greater level. Do you make the money? Yeah. But it is in God that we are given and we have provision. So that's what they're celebrating here. Then we see Jesus stood up and shouted. Now this is important because you can look through John up till now. You can even go beyond if you want. You will not see too many times where Jesus shouted. In fact, we don't really even get this type of language when Jesus flipped over a bunch of tables. you remember that story we shared at the beginning? We don't get the he shouted, he screamed, but this is clearly a cry out that John is saying. Like he made it very clear. Now, in looking at it, it, it seems like, because if you read the passage in front of that, it's not like Jesus was very worked up, but it looked like Jesus was like, all right, this is it. All right, this is the time. I've got to say this. And he speaks it. But what we learn of how this word is used is that there is emotion with it. Now, you might think, well, isn't there always emotion with shouting? I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think there is a deep passion that, in what he is sharing here. And so when he shouts and he cries out, there is this emotion that's coming with it. I have to share this. You've got to hear this. One gentleman yesterday started with a story. He was right there. He started with a story about uh, kind of sneaking away one night, and his wife didn't know, and he said, you might even call it statutory rape. And I thought, oh, my gosh, where is this going you know, here in the church? And he shares his story of having this affair, and his wife standing by him. And he said, I begged I'll never do it again, but it happened again and again and again for the next seven years. Right? And he shared a couple of other times about being on stage playing music and the fog lifted from the fog machines, and they, they had taken their clothes off, and they were all naked. And I thought, where is this going? What is happening in these stories? But then he said, on May 19th of a certain year, I can't remember the year, so I gave my life over Jesus Christ. And then he shares this story about what life has looked like for him in the last 42 or so years and how different it is. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when I shared with you to tell your story? What was life before Jesus? Why did you come to know Jesus? What is life like afterwards? That's what he did. But when he got into sharing about how life has changed and how you could have that too, his voice started to raise. Emotions started to come out. I'm not sure you would describe it. He was shouting at us, but there is no doubt a passion and an emotion was in his voice that you would not end your days living how he lived his early days, but that you would give your life over to Christ. And that's where Jesus is at, passionately saying, you've got to hear this, what I'm going to say. So what does he say? The next verse is, all who are thirsty should come to me. All who believe in me should drink. Now, this is the festival. They're celebrating God's provision. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, all you, uh, if you're thirsty, you should come to me. You should come to me. God, uh, Jesus is using this moment in this festival to tell people, look, I would be your provider. In this area, if you're thirsty, come to me, and I will offer this to you. Now, it is, listen, this is not the first time uh, Jesus has spoke in these terms, but remember what he's been saying over and over, and we've looked at it several times. He is saying, look, the, the Father and I are one. 
I come not speaking my own words, I come speaking the Father's words. He has said this many times up till this point. So in his eyes, he's saying, look, come to me. I will provide for you just as God has provided. He's saying really this, your new lot will be provided through me. Through me. I'll be your provider to give for you. And specifically, he says it twice, thirsty, come to me so you can have your drink. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Do you remember Jesus' trip through Samaria we studied already? And Jesus came and he met a lady at the well, and they had this interaction. And Jesus, like he often does, he talks about kind of a physical thing. And then as the conversation goes on, Jesus talks on two levels. And he keeps talking about, in this situation, water. But he's talking about much, something much deeper, this spiritual water as well. Look at the passage. I put it in your notes. John 4.10. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. After she responded, he went on to say, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again, but the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is continuing this theme of what I have to offer and the water I have to offer so that you won't thirst, you won't long for and hope and seek and search again. The next passage gets more of what he's saying. As the scripture said concerning me, rivers of living water will flow out of within him. Rivers of living water. Now listen, I realize we live in a day and age where to be a really good, effective uh, praise chorus, you know, for the radio, you've got to have a few references of water thrown in there. So we've got oceans and streams and rivers and all this kind of stuff, and we start to lose the understanding. But they were well people. They dig a well, and they use a well. In fact, they were communal wells. So you have a well at your house, maybe. We have a well here on the property. This was communal and mostly open wells where they would go and they would dip buckets down and they would bring that up. That's how they supplied their water. But if you had access to running water, a stream or a brook or something like that, they would call that living water. It was pure water. It was better water. If you've ever gone camping and you want to drink water, you know you go to a stream that's running to drink. You don't go to a stagnant piece of water and drink out of that. Who knows what's in there? And Jesus is saying the same thing. Living water is the purest water. This flowing water is the purest. This is what I have to offer. This is what I give to you. Even at the, the festival, it could be that they were tracking water all the way in from a, a running water stream, but more likely they were bringing water in for the festival and from a well. And Jesus, using this illustration, would always be powerful that I am living water, the pure water, the flowing water, the water that you can trust. This is what I have to offer. Rivers of living water will flow out, listen to this, within him. What picture do you get when you get, uh, think of that, within me? 
I think we think of things like with all of my heart and with all of my soul and my essence or whatever, those type of things. Do you know what they would have thought? They would have thought from my belly. That's an interesting thing, right? From my belly. Yeah, that's actually when you have in their thinking, the Jewish thinking then, the center of one's dwelling or their feeling, they would think about that in their belly. Now, that makes sense if you kind of think through it for a second, all right? Throughout your week, how often do you feel your heart? You know, maybe if you work out a lot, it'll, you know, it'll be fluttering and, and beating, or, or if you have, you know, a little bit of irregularity that you deal with, right, you might feel that. But how often do you feel your stomach throughout the week? <laughs> often, right? After a pizza and a half yesterday at, at lunchtime, I felt my stomach throughout the afternoon, so... And so it makes sense that they think this way, that the center of feeling would be in their belly. So when they would like, you dwell deep within me, you know, I can feel you, I can experience you. They would have this thinking. We don't think in those days, so that sounds very strange to us. But think about how that actually makes sense. What they're feeling, experiencing, as you might with your digestive system, they're saying, the Spirit even finds its way into there and will dwell in you and will flow out of you. Now, I don't think we'll go further with that flow out of you description when we talk about the digestive uh, there. But you can see it all works into how they would think about how the Spirit, how this, excuse me, this living water would work in them. So Jesus is saying this, look, you just want to experience this lot I have to offer you. It will actually dwell in your deepest being. Think about water touching your lips and, oh, that's refreshing. That's wonderful. I was so thirsty in my mouth and my mouth was dry. And now my mouth isn't dry. You ever wake up in the middle of the night and your mouth is dry and you kind of grab a drink real quick? That's so refreshing to the tongue and the mouth. Jesus is saying, look, this lot is not just like that. This lot will be like what water needs to do in your whole body. And why you're told to drink about eight cups a day. Jesus said it will just flow through you. That is what I have to offer. At the festival, where they celebrate God's provision, Jesus is offering provision of living water. What he's really offering is provision of life. Now, Jesus does some explanation, gets a little theological here in the, the spirit. Jesus said this concerning the spirit. Those who believe in him would soon receive the spirit, but they hadn't experienced the spirit yet. Now, that may seem like, wow, Jesus, that's kind of like a, a left turn here. You were talking about water, and now you're talking about spirit. But remember, we've said this before. If you look at the Old Testament and you look at the passages about spirit, wind, flowing water, they are so often used interchangeably. And so Jesus is doing the same thing here. When he talks about living water, it's very easy for him to immediately talk about spirit. As he's saying, listen, this is what the living water is. It is the spirit given to you. So Jesus said this about the living water concerning the Holy Spirit, meaning he was talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that's given to you. Jesus, once again, moves from talking about something that seems only tangible to something spiritual as well. But they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. 
It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is created at this moment. Don't get that wrong theologically. The Holy Spirit has been in existence forever. We find that all the way back part of the Trinity. But there's something that they haven't experienced in the Spirit. There's a way that the Holy Spirit has been working in people that is going to change. It's going to be different. They hadn't experienced that yet. Think about it this way. Just as people dwell in what God offers, the Holy Spirit will dwell in us when we offer ourselves to God. This provision will be given. God provided. When we dwell in what God offers, it's great. If God offers and we reject it, it's not so great. In the same way, when we offer ourselves to God, the Holy Spirit will dwell in us like living water, like your eight cups a day, and what they do through your whole body. The next verse, but they hadn't experienced the Spirit yet since Jesus hadn't yet been glorified. You know what the word glorified means? And we use it in a lot of different ways, but it simply means this, to be lifted up. So when you say glorified, we mean lifted up, right? And this is especially interesting to be used of Jesus, because Jesus is going to be lifted up. He's going to be put on the cross. Have you thought about that, that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, there is a literal physical lifting up? The place of Golgotha was high, and the cross is even higher, and Jesus was put up on there. There's a literal glorification that happens of Jesus as he is lifted up and he is crucified. Jesus has an interaction with God about being lifted up as well. And he's speaking about the crucifixion when he says this. So Jesus is talking about here being glorified. He's like, I'm going to the cross. And I'll die and I'll rise from the dead. I'm being glorified and lifted up for what reason? We talked about it last week. My time has not yet come. My time is going to come for that reason. That is his time to be lifted up and glorified. And then the gift of the Spirit would come. Jesus said, look, I'm with you right now. But there'll be a day where I'm not with you. I came for a purpose. And I'm going to live out that purpose. And there's a day where I won't be right next to you. But take heart. And he actually says later in John, it's even better for you that I go because the Holy Spirit will come and dwell in you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is available now. Why? Because Jesus has been glorified. He has been lifted up. He went to the cross. He raised from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And the gift that was given to believers after that is the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you, living water in That's what we learn here, and that's what Jesus is getting at. So in the festival of provision, God has provided for you. He's provided a dwelling place for you to live in so that you're not out on your own in the hills. You you have a dwelling. He now says, listen, I'm going to provide a spirit who will dwell in you. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm the doorway to that. I am the path for this living water and the spirit that will live in you. Here's the takeaway to this passage this morning. One, God is still your provider. He's still your provider this morning. But we work so hard for God to provide, or we pray so hard for God to provide things like 
house and car and finances, right? And maybe your future spouse and relationships and all those type of things. Nothing wrong with praying over any of those things. But what Jesus is getting at here is your number one thing that Jesus is here to provide is a living water in him that leads to the spirit living in us. God is still your provider in that. The Holy Spirit is given is the second thing there. The Holy Spirit is a gift given. I meet more and more Christians as I go on in adult ministry especially who are living out a form of Christianity that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. It's solid Christian morals, and I commend you on living out solid Christian morals. Those are helpful, and they will get your life on a good track. But they don't carry the impact of a life with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given. Which leads to this last one. Is your life open to God's gift? Don't say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said yes at camp one year. You can be a Christian not being open to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is given to you. But sometimes we leave the Holy Spirit dormant in our life. This is what Jesus is passionately screaming about. Can I share one more bit about yesterday's testimony? You might say this gentleman who got really excited about sharing his testimony. You might say got really excited. I mean, he might have gone so far that he turned a lot of the audience even off to that. But you would not deny his passion for wanting people to know, wanting the people to know the life transformation that can happen in Jesus. And Jesus on the last night, with one of the few times that he, we ever get in the gospels that he shouted, he shouts with emotion and passion, you can have living water in me that leads to a life in the Holy Spirit. There was passion that he needed to share this. Do you need to hear that this morning for yourself? You probably need to hear it for somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. Somebody who might have come yesterday and said, yeah, I fit, I fit in better with this crowd. Think about how you might shout the words, or at the very least, that you might share them with passion and love and care for somebody else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this quick word, these three passages or, or verses, where we see your passion, and we see your calling, and then we see your gift. Father, would we experience that? there be anybody in here, Lord, that would say, my life is a Christian life that's lived out without the Holy Spirit. I want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This could be the day. We just simply say something like this, Lord, forgive me for denying your spirit access to my life. Today, I want to surrender before you and allow you to move in whatever way you want. God wants to answer that prayer and empower you. We pray this all in, our son, in your son's name. Amen.